0: Um, And even not even in Christian sectors, I found just a a group of folks just who, who don't hold to a scriptural sexual ethic who basically have the same standpoint.
1: Welcome to episode 14 of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and I've got like a dozen coupons for free tacos sitting in my car right now, which might be my greatest accomplishment to date. Um, This is my podcast where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things. We live in an era where ideology tends to be determined more by mutual loathings than by facts or sincere introspection. Very few of us spend a lot of time questioning our views, but some people do, Um, and this is the show about them. I interview someone every week who has changed their mind about something big or important. Um, this week I talked to a guy named Cap Stewart. Um, he's someone I've known online for a while now, not well, just someone I've been connected with on Facebook. And he's an interesting guy, comes from sort of a Southern evangelical background. And at one point, um, took kind of an evangelical approach to quote-unquote sex scenes, nude scenes in movies of just look away when it's on the screen, Um, but has since come around to realize that In this post-Harvey Weinstein world, reacting to uh, sex scenes in movies is not so much about his personal purity as it is about resisting an economic system that exploits actresses and sometimes actors for money. So uh, he's actually become something of an activist um, in this and has an online course um, dedicated to teaching people to kind of resist the system that, that pushes actors to take off their clothes, often against their will. Um, so he's an interesting guy. I don't know if I agree with him on everything. It was, however, a very interesting conversation and I'm glad we had him on the show. I will go ahead and flip you over to him and I will see you on the other side. changed my mind with luke t harrington i'm luke t harrington and this is my show where i talk to people who have changed their minds about big things important things the reason for that being that a lot of people seem to never change their minds seem to uh, dig their heels in even deeper into the dirt when confronted with contradictory evidence But this is for the few, the brave, who have changed their minds. Um, People do change their minds, and I want to know why. So this is about 11% research project and 89% therapy for me. (laughs) I have a lot of interesting people on the show who have changed their minds about all sorts of things. And today we're going to talk to Cap Stewart, who has changed his mind about... well, Well, how would you put it, Cap?
0: You know, the probably the most succinct way to put it is that I've gone from viewing, uh, when it comes to watching movies and television shows, gone from emphasizing how Hollywood might be a stumbling block to me and focusing more on how I actually might be a stumbling block to Hollywood.
1: Um, And you wanted to find stumbling block, and in what sense you mean that for for listeners that might not know what you're
0: talking about? Sure. So it would be based kind of on that idea of the Apostle Paul talking in uh, 1 Corinthians, where your actions are causing someone else's uh, conscience to be violated, like you're basically leading them into a violation of what they believe to be right and wrong. And you might be free and clear, but you're hurting somebody else.
1: And to be clear, we're talking about sexuality specifically in movies
0: and TV, media, whatever. That is correct, right? I, I have focused on that area in particular, that, that's where my research has taken me.
1: So yeah, I'm excited to have uh, Cap on the show. He is a freelance author, cultural commentator, and sells fine ID theft protection services <laughs> in... Kentucky, right? You're in Kentucky?
0: Uh, No, Tennessee, but it's actually we're in
1: a company. (laughs) Whatever. Okay, well (laughs) edit that out then, man. Um, um, Yeah, so this is um, one of those things that I suspect I will not be earning a lot of cool points for talking about this on the show. Um, (laughs) It seems a little square, but it's also something I suspect you're right about, or at least mostly right. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) This is, um, yeah, I think this is, this is going to be a really interesting conversation or at least I hope it will. Um, so we're going to talk about how you went from kind of a hyper evangelical focus on personal purity to more of an activist approach to exploitative entertainment. Is that, is that fair, a fair way of putting
0: it? That's a great way. Yeah.
1: Great. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about that. Um, why don't you uh, start with a quick biography just give us the 30 second version of who
0: is cap stewart <laughs> well sure and related to what we're talking about i i grew up actually on the west coast and um uh, really can't remember a time when i didn't love movies that was something that we did as a family so it was a family communal event to watch my parents favorite films or stuff that we kids liked and so i've just enjoyed that from the get-go and then when my family purchased a, a camcorder. Uh, they were bigger and bulkier back then, and uh, I think I think it was Hi8 tapes that they were using at the time. But in any case, I I was the designated camera person. Loved setting up shots and angles, and just really loved cinematography. And so I've just always been drawn to the the visual mediums like film and television enjoy watching them I've also I, that's what I went to school for and so I've spent a lot of my time in the video production and independent filmmaking world and have really really enjoyed that and so movies have been a big part of my life and I um, just continued have continued do, working with them with the uh, writing I, I am a freelance author as well and so I've written a lot of of cultural commentary on theology and the arts and how they intersect and especially as it comes to movies and then of course in the last few years how it deals with uh, with sexuality and handling those those themes and and those kind of that kind of content
1: so uh yeah um, let's let's get into um what you changed your mind about um sure. maybe go into a little bit of detail of how you used to look at cinema and how you
0: look at cinema now Sure. Yeah. And what we're talking about today, like you mentioned, we are discussing more. It's a fairly narrow aspect of filmmaking. This isn't the sum and total of of movies. No, this is just one part of it. And so I I certainly don't want to come across as this is like the only standard to consider. Uh, This is just one one aspect of it. So um, honestly, as I've been thinking through and preparing for this, I think one of the best descriptions... Uh, comes from, and maybe I'm jumping ahead of the game here, and if you would prefer to do this later, just let me know. But I, I, I there's a quote from the book that actually did change my mind about the author who, who, uh, who whose mind changed on this as well. And so um, so I was just going to quote from him just to kind of get us started, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. So what, what he said, and this was a guy, he's a pastor now. He used to actually work in the film industry as well. And he said, Um, He said, I went through a stage when I believed, as most Christians do today, that if a film is good enough, it doesn't matter if some nudity or sex is thrown in. I didn't like it, but I accepted it. I was wrong. It does matter. My approach was selfish. Though I didn't want to see scenes like that, I was willing to tolerate them for a good time and I was placing my amusement, something completely unimportant, over my obligation to love, something of the highest importance. And, and, and that, that quote in particular, I think, does a good summary of my, my mental shift from what I used to believe to what I believe now.
1: So when he says something of the highest importance is he talking about the human body what's he is he talking about god what's what's he talking about something uh, of the highest talking, importance no, he was talking
0: about my or our obligation to love our neighbor as ourselves so that being kind of a, okay. the, the the supreme example of how a christian is supposed to live in all aspects of of everyday life
1: I will I will admit that this is not something i have spent a lot of time thinking about or introspecting sure. about sure. um i know that like I think I've, I've said this before is that I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I really qualify for the label evangelical. Right, right, <laughs> right. Evangelicals seem to like me and I seem to hang around with evangelicals a lot, but I, I don't, I don't know if that's really my reflects my background or my convictions. Um, right. I do know that I do know that there's um, among evangelicals, there's this tendency at least of among evangelicals my age, there's just tendency just look away in the nude scenes. Is that kind of how you approach things or is that...
0: Uh, that? That was how I used to. Yeah. Because I really was only concerned with just, you know, my own personal purity, which I think fits with the, the first greatest commandment, as you know, as, as you pointed out, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first sure. one. And I think that corresponds well with what a lot of evangelicals and And conservative Christianity, which is where I've spent a majority of my of my life, uh, that emphasis on, you know, we want to make sure that we remain pure before God and don't cause ourselves to stumble with what we allow into our hearts and and minds and so on. And and I think there can be wisdom in that, but but that um, that was that was it. That was the scope of my evaluation, you know, how does this bother me? And if I'm okay, then we're good to go. And so that that was Mm -hmm. how I used to view things. And, and what has changed is that I think my, my scope was too narrow because I wasn't even considering that second greatest commandment that Jesus threw in for the, you know, for the attorney who asked him that question. That's just a freebie. Here's the second greatest one. And it's love your neighbor as you love yourself. And on all the law, you know, the, the entire law hangs on these two commandments. And so I just never even consider that as an aspect of being a consumer of entertainment how do i love my neighbor or in this case how do i love my entertainer as as i love myself
1: so yeah and i think the the story of how you uh arrived there is gonna be what we talk about today right um so yeah let's start with um what you used to believe though what how how would you say you originally approached um sex scenes and entertainment
0: Sure, and and I think how um, uh, author Wayne Wilson described it was really good. Just I, I was inward focused, and I was a consumer in you know the the, the truest sense of the word. I was con- concerned only, or, or at the very least, primarily about about me. What's what's in it for me? And and is this gonna? Am I gonna enjoy the story? Is this gonna be something that will entertain me? Is this something that I'm going to you know admire the artistry of? And also, is this gonna make? Is this gonna? Violate my conscience or so on and so forth. It was all like, none of those are illegitimate concerns or questions, but again, it was just an inward focus. And I was just thinking about how is this going to affect me? And, and how is this going to, um, to bother or not bother me? And it was just all about, all about me. And, and I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have classified it as selfish. And I, I, I don't think it was, I would say it was more ignorant than than malicious for sure. Like I never had any desire to 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 participate in exploitation in any way. It's just a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about is stuff that I I didn't even consider. So I was I was just ignorant and not mm. not intentionally cruel. And I and I also want to be careful as we're talking about this. I, I think there were some selfish tendencies in me, and the ignorance isn't completely excusable. But and and I think that. My state probably does represent a lot of people out there, but I also want to be careful. I don't want to say I know that my experience in its exact form is everyone else's experience. I, I don't want to promote my sins or you know failings or faults on everybody else. I want to be careful to, to make sure that I'm primarily talking about me, and, and I think a lot of people can identify with what I'm talking about, but I don't want to just label everyone else as as evil and ugly, stupid as, as I was, and and sometimes still.
1: Is this... um. Is this an approach to entertainment that you say you, you that you'd say you just kind of absorbed from the the culture
0: around you? Um, I, I think it was was soaked in from my my you know the subculture that I was involved with. Yes, uh, that just uh, just kind of absorbing that from those around me. And I was I, I can't remember the device that we used when I was younger. It was pre Angel and pre ClearPlay. It was more primitive, but it was something we hooked up to the VCR. And it would you know scan the it would scan the um the closed captioning. and then if if certain types of swear words were coming up, it would it would mute that sentence so we didn't hear it. And then the closed captioning would replace that word with something else. And huh. And so we did do that for quite a while. and it, it had a few features. like if you were watching religious pro- programming, you could turn off the feature where it would block out god and jesus because they weren't being used as cuss words but you could also turn it on if you thought that might be the case so so we did <laughs> we we did use that um and they're also you know just by virtue of that it's not perfect so sometimes you get some pretty hilarious pretty hilarious substitutions and uh, <laughs> uh but we uh, we did we did use that when i was younger and so that was kind of the and and like i said i think just in conservative christian circles in particular there is definitely an emphasis on personal purity whether you're talking about sex before marriage or entertainment or anything like that and and i think there's some really great stuff in that but but i think there was an overemphasis of that and and i did kind of absorb that as a part of my my own practices and beliefs
1: yeah i had no idea anything like that existed that's really interesting to to hear <laughs> yeah. about pretty impressive technology for the early 90s it was
0: it was um, it was. um uh one and this is anecdotal and you may not think important but it was there for the f bomb in particular they usually replace that with the word wow and so uh, you know <laughs> um often what would happen uh, eventually I got to the point where wow in my mind meant something else and that I don't know how helpful that was And especially when <laughs> I was doing a video for a client where they were talking about how they were going to wow their customers and, and just <laughs> the entire time I was working on that project my mind always went there and I was like this no 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 that, that's not right and so um so, yeah, <laughs> there are there are even as you're trying to remain pure and holy and all that kind of stuff uh, again like a good desires very good desires it's just there's certain short, short circuits to that particular avenue and so um so you know it certainly wasn't the perfect way to to respond to things and I I think by God's grace I have matured and and better at how to respond. but uh, yeah that was a a fairly funny uh example of how just that particular mode of uh of um protecting my mind actually went against protecting my mind.
1: <laughs> wow, yeah. I think um I think Monty Python on one of their um one of their LPs, they did a whole sketch about the enormous yeah. versatility of the F-word. Oh, <laughs> so finding a single word to replace the F word with is a, probably a fool's errand. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions I, I asked my guests um I'm really interested in kind of this question of: to what extent do we believe the things we believe for purely selfish reasons, like we want right. to justify whatever we already want to do? Uh-huh. Um, and you've touched you've touched on this a little bit, um, and I, I think you've you've already answered in the affirmative. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want to talk about that? Did Did you believe what you believed for um, selfish reasons, or?
0: I think it was ultimately selfish. And, and again, I don't think it was blatant, malicious, intentional, hey, I'm out. Uh, I don't care whatever happens to anybody else. I just want to have a good time. But I do sure. think just with me being a, a human being who is is sinful, uh, with inherent sinful tendencies, I, I think that was just kind of an automatic aspect of it without me being consciously aware of it. And so I, I definitely believe that I was selfish. And, and as as i made that transition from how i used to act to where to how i do things now there definitely was a um there was a kickback where i was worried about oh no what am i going to miss out on now that my standards have changed and and so obviously selfishness played into that
1: all right so let's get into that then um what was it that made you first kind of question the way you approached uh this this issue like what what led you to first question your original views.
0: Sure. Yeah. And really the the kickoff point was when I read a book called Worldly Amusements by a pastor and author, Wayne Wilson, that was back in 2012. And I read through that and there was one chapter he had in his book called The Law of Love, just one chapter. And he went into, uh, he quoted several interviews with actors, uh, primarily actresses, just talking about their reticence to film nude and sex scenes or how it bothered their conscience or how they were uncomfortable or how it hurt the story instead of helped it or how whenever they met fans and the fans were gushing over, oh, I loved you in this film, they were thinking, oh gosh, you've seen me naked. And, and just basically explaining, here's the actor perception of these scenes and it was just something that I I had never even considered. It wasn't something that was on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I was just focused on as a consumer, this is a product for my consumption. So, you know, how does this affect me? And now that I've established that and it's safe for me to watch, I'm good to go. No other questions need to be asked. But that that chapter just really, it confronted me and helped me see a whole other aspect of this, this uh of the christian life and how i am called to love my neighbor as myself and i i don't personally know any hollywood actors i've i've had i've met a couple you know more just character actors here and there but like i i don't i don't know these people they don't know me so i I could say well they're not my neighbor but you know the reason why jesus gave the parable of the good samaritan was in direct response to people who would say well okay who's my neighbor? Like, whom am I actually obligated to love? Surely it isn't everybody. And his answer is more along the lines of, no, it's pretty much everybody. Like anybody you come into contact with, you're obligated as much as the relationship requires to, to love them. And and so, um, so that just helped me see, yeah, I haven't been loving my neighbor as I love myself. This is a whole category I need to consider as I evaluate my entertainment choices. And so really the book was just, it, that's what was the catalyst for me changing my mind. And I I guess I'm a little fuzzy on the details because the, the films where I started noticing this, I started, there were some movies that either had recently come out or were about to come out. And I started evaluating it with this parameter as well, just evaluating, okay, is there some on screen nudity or, or sex scenes or like what's going on there? And not even so much is that going to be a stumbling block to me, but. I, I want to be loving to the actors and actresses and as i delved into that i realized oh, okay well this movie i can i'm not going to pay for that movie i'm not going to watch and so on and so forth and I, I think there was one one movie in particular we miss it in theaters and so it came out or, or i guess around the time i finished the book it was um mission impossible ghost protocol came out in 2011 mm-hmm. and like there's nothing anywhere close to explicitly sexual like there's no nudity and there are no sex scenes but An interesting sequence later on in the film is where the uh, character of Jane, who's on the the MI uh, team, uh, played by Paula Patton, she she has lost her boyfriend earlier in the film. And in order for them to get some information they need to to defeat the bad guys, she needs to seduce one of the bad guys to get that info. And so she is struggling really hard to do that because she was in a romantic relationship, obviously doesn't like this guy at all. So, but she she wears like a very provocative uh, dress with low, like a very low um, low neckline, and and tries to seduce the guy, and it doesn't work. And so her her boss and teammate Tom Cruise comes in and further sexualizes her by kissing her to make the bad guy uh, feel bad about missing out. And so then he actually the bad guy comes back and takes her to his bedroom, and then she. Physically attacks them, gets the info she needs, and leaves. And you know, again, like no explicit sex or nudity at all, but just as I was learning, here's what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood. And as a lot of us are more aware of now, just in light of the Harvey Weinstein scandal that erupted back in in 2017, um, just how mm-hmm. much coercion and pressure ha- has gone on set for so much of this type of content now that I was aware of that, watching that scene was just basically like almost an illustration of what happens to actresses all the time. Cause like, she's crying, she doesn't want to do this, but that's what Mm -hmm. the job requires of her. And so she pushes through and they, they, you know, they get the job done, but at, at what cost. And so I was just really uncomfortable watching that. I just, I remember that specifically because that was shortly after I finished the book. And again, even though it wasn't anywhere close to a hard R display of sexuality, just, it, it just bothered me and, and helped me see, okay, I'm, my, my conscience is obviously shifting here and I just need to be more careful and, and take an active role in loving my entertainers as, as I love myself.
1: Well, and with the Mission Impossible films, you know, Tom Cruise is the producer for the film, right. So <laughs> of course he's going to look for some sort of excuse to make out with the hot actress. Um, now, let me, um, let me push back on this because I, I sure. kind of feel like I know what the pushback is going to be from people sure. who are, um, convicted otherwise, um, which is that, okay. So there are examples of actresses who are, you know, even if it's, even if it's consensual on paper, they're being exploited, they're being pushed to do things they don't want to do by agents, producers, directors, et cetera. Right. Um, which, you know, okay, fine. That's exploitative. Um, but why are you jumping from that to nudity is inherently exploitative? Like, I feel like if I if you looked if you looked you could find examples of actresses who were excited to do nude scenes and totally right. jumped yep. in knowing exactly yep. what was what was going on or for that matter actors who were excited to do nude scenes. Right. Like, uh huh. Um, why are you, why are you in other words why are you taking these examples um, which are like you said very prominent in the news right now? Like I don't think anybody disagrees they exist. But why are you taking right. these examples and kind of? um, ca- casting the entire, um, R-rated entertainment industry in that light, basically.
0: Right. And, and that, and that's a great question and also a good pushback too. And, and part of the answer would be that I, I would not say I believe that all, uh, nudity and all art is necessarily bad. Uh, you know, we're not talking about National Geographic. We're not talking about the <laughs> Statue of David. We're not talking about, you know, there we're not talking about paintings from the Renaissance or other areas. Um, we're, we're not really talking about that. What, when I write about this, what I really try to do is hone in on the visual medium in particular. So we're talking like, like a film, um, television, uh, theatrical productions, stuff like that, where for the most part, and not, not all parts, but for the most part, a large portion of the nudity that does exist in our current form of entertainment is, is sexual in nature. And and really, that that's more the area where I've kind of honed in and, and talked about. And so I, I don't want to be misconstrued as saying, you know, all nudity in any kind of story is wrong. And like, I I just don't believe that. If you're reading a book about a character who, for whatever reason, you know, doesn't have clothes on for a time or a long time, that isn't inherently wrong. I mean, like you can even have movies where a character is nude or is stripped or whatnot. And, and I think that can be filmed in such a way that respects the dignity of not only the audience, but also the actors. So... Um, so, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say all nudity in all forms all the time is wrong because I, 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 I don't believe that. I'm just honing in on more of this. You know, we, we live in and, and I think especially in, in Christian circles, there is an agreement that we live in a, a pornified society. And so a lot of there's a lot of bleed over into our mainstream entertainment where a lot of the filming and acting techniques are there's crossover between that and pornographic content. And so that's more the area where I'm focusing in on is just a, a pornified culture that has gotten to a large degree numb to just how explicit and how degrading a lot of the content actually, actually is. So does does that help to at least start answering that question? A little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, why don't we talk a little bit more about your, um, your reasons uh, for changing your mind on this? I mean, we've, we've talked about the selfish thing in regards to, your previous belief, um, if you could step back and do a little bit of introspection on this, do you see there as being a possibly selfish
0: motive in, in changing your mind this way? Anything's possible. So I'm not going to just flat out say no. I would, I would guess, and I would say, especially since I have spent a ton of time thinking and praying and writing on this subject over the last several years, I don't think my transition... Was based on or influenced by selfishness. I, I I think I was moving away from selfishness to a more selfless position. Um, so I, you know, right now, off the top of my head, based on the hours I've logged in my brain and, and otherwise, I don't think I have moved into a more or a even just like a different form of selfishness. I, I think I hopefully have moved away more so from from selfishness with where I am, am now.
1: All right. So, um, when you first started questioning your, uh, your previous views, how did that feel? Was that thrilling? Kind of (laughs) scary? How did that feel?
0: Well, as I briefly mentioned earlier, it was at the outset anyway, it was definitely, uh, it it was scary because my, my primary gut reaction was, Oh no, what am I going to miss out on? If I, if I need to be careful about where my money is going and what I am contributing to, and if I need to be concerned about, you know, "quote unquote" fair trade entertainment, like what am I going to miss out on? And that that was kind of the, one of the big factors for me to 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 deal with. And yet I couldn't move away from my new convictions because I was convinced that that what what Wayne Wilson talked about, and as I further studied uh, just what other actors and actresses were saying and what what scripture. Uh, informs me about just how to how to love my neighbors, myself, I I, just, I couldn't get around it. So it definitely was scary. And I would say that 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 has definitely changed over time where there may be sometimes where a, a new movie is coming out and I'm excited and I find out, oh, there's this content in there, that content in there. Well, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to pay for that. I might borrow it from the library later. I, I may never watch it to begin with. I don't know, but I'm just not going to I'm not going to be a patron of that. Uh, there sometimes might be uh, just a, an initial, well, rats, I was really looking forward to that. But but overall, it, it has transitioned from primarily being a feeling of fright or fear to being just more, I, I don't know, there, there, there's just a greater contentment where I am just aware look, the reason I'm doing this isn't willy-nilly. I, I think that by the grace of God, I am more settled in a position to honor God and love my neighbor as myself. This is something outside of me. That, that's the reason why I'm doing this. It's not just for my own personal benefit or so I can climb up on some legalistic uh, soapbox and berate everybody else for not being like me. I, I, I think this is, I think God has grown me to where I'm just embracing his calling on my life as a Christian more fully. And, I, and, and whenever you do that, you enjoy more satisfaction and fulfillment. You know, Jesus said, you, you, if, if you seek your life um, or, um, gosh, what is it? You know, whoever uh, seeks his life to, blah, now that I have to quote it, I can't think of it.
1: Whoever uh, seeks to gain his life will lose it.
0: Whoever seeks whoever to lose his life, his life gain it. will find it. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so, so I, I, I think I'm experiencing just one small aspect of that principle and that reality that by seeking to, deny myself for the good of my neighbor. I think I'm actually enjoying my own life uh, and my own enjoyment of the arts more fully because I think I'm embracing God's calling on my life more more effectively.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your approach to this. Um, sure. You say you want to be a a stumbling block to Hollywood. and ever, and In other words, you want to do what you can to stop exploitative entertainment from being made. Um, so, um, I mean, how do you, how do you go about that? I mean, I know it's a little more for you than just not paying for movies that you think are exploitive. Um, what's your approach here?
0: You know, that, that actually is probably the best summary of, of my position. And, and I know that, um, uh, it could be easy for folks to look at what I'm doing and say, okay, well, basically what you're promoting is, you know, is like, like you're basically functionally boycotting films that include exploitive content. Um, and, and and you could look at it from that perspective. And there are some, I think, service level similarities between what I'm doing and what a boycotter might do. But, but really, I would even say the ultimate, my ultimate goal isn't to stop this from happening, even though, I mean, sure that, that, I want to contribute to the stopping of that happening, and I want to do all that I can. But I also know that I am just one person, and I'm responsible ultimately for just me. I think the boycott mentality is more based on, "Hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna leverage our popularity or our collective power, or whatever, to force you to change, either by you know withholding money from you or, or whatever. Like, but but we're gonna we're gonna force you to make a change, whoever you is, whether it's Hollywood or you know." A, a, a restaurant or whatever we're, we're going to force you to change by withholding funds from you and my approach is more along the lines of i i, I need to change uh that's the the one person i am responsible for is me and i want to make sure that i whether the whole world sees what i'm doing as you know oh that makes sense or cap you're absolutely stupid or whatever the case may be i want to make sure that i am honoring and glorifying god and honoring my my um my fellow human beings more effectively and and that really is the bottom line so as far as like my approach w- what it has come down to is that i yeah i i, I don't want to be a patron of this kind of content and so i um i before back when i was focused on you know is this appropriate for me and that was my only focus i would look at movie review websites just to find out okay what kind of content is in there and, and, and I still do that, but not so much now, like, you know, is this going to be appropriate for me? But like, can I be a, a, a healthy patron of this? And if I decide, you know, I, I can't, I don't know if that actress or actor like willingly did it or, or didn't. Um, but I, I'm, I would prefer to err on the side of caution and not contribute to that. So I'm not going to go pay for it. And then, you know, I, I might watch the movie by borrowing it from the library when it comes out in DVD, I might not ever watch it. I, I just want to be careful to not, be a party to to exploitative um, practices, if that if, if that makes sense. With all of my writing, and um, in fact, over the years, my writing has finally compiled into a, an online course that I launched at the end of twenty nineteen. It's a very robust course that is you know years of research, and, and so with that especially, but also just with my blog and article and book writing in the past, I I have focused primarily on those situations where actors or actresses were coerced or pressured or intimidated or you know whatever the case may be to to film that scene whether it was partially nude fully nude uh, simulated sex act or whatnot but there are and and i've tried to acknowledge this in my writing as well like there are actors who just consider it as you know it's either just a challenge or some say hey i I like doing this um and so those actors do exist and i'm not trying to pretend that I'm, i'm not trying to pretend otherwise but in relation to that in particular, and, and just especially as a Christian who's trying to have scripture be the primary authority in my life, in response to that and spe- specifically, what I have seeked to show is that whether an actor was willing or not with a, a large portion, and I'm, I'm not gonna say all, but I would say with, I, I think with a, a majority of the of the of um, the nudity and sex acts that are in our current forms of entertainment, that there, there are there are at least three, if not four, types of violations going on, and they are a, um, they're a privacy violation, a dignity violation, a sexual violation, and then in many cases there's a, an agency violation because they're being, you know, intimidated or coerced or, or whatnot. And so, um, and a, a lot of these violations bleed over into each other, so it's often, you know, all four. Uh, in most cases, it's usually at least all three, you know, the first three, and and so. A sexual violation, or as an understanding from my, you know, my understanding of scripture, a any deviation from God's prescribed use for sexuality, any type, in other words, of immorality is inherently not only is it inherently wrong, but it's also inherently unloving. And so, like you have uh, Paul in Romans, um, Romans thirteen, where he talks about, you know, oh, no one anything except to love one another because love is the fulfillment of the law, like, like what Jesus said earlier. But then he goes on to say, you know, the, he lists several commands, including you shall not commit adultery, and says, like, all these are, are summed up in the command, love your neighbor as yourself, and love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so I, I think a scriptural viewpoint is sexual immorality is inherently unloving, whether the person is consensual or not. Because Paul isn't saying, hey, uh, um... Uh, all acts of sex outside marriage are rape because obviously they're not. There's a lot of consensual immorality going on out there. And Mm -hmm. yet yet he's still saying that's still an unloving act. And so if if these um, portrayals of nudity or partial nudity or sex acts really are violations of sexuality and privacy and dignity, then it almost becomes moot whether the actor was for it or against it, because uh, as a Christian, I don't want to encourage them in something that is inherently Unloving and inherently damaging to their flourishing as a human being, at least as, as God sees it. If, if, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I think there's probably a case to be made that even in the the cases where it's everything's above board, everything's consensual, that that still right. helps feed a system where people are exploited. Right. Right. I, I would agree with that. All right. So, um, yeah, how's your uh, life changed since your beliefs changed? <laughs>
0: Um, well, after I got over the initial shock and all, I, like you said, and just being afraid of what I was going to miss out on, I I do think that my life has benefited just because as I have submitted one more area of my life, I, I, I think more, more fully to, to Christ, I think what I am enjoying is just not only a greater contentment and walking in His ways, but also just just um, just in, just as a, a a human male, you know, I just the lust, sexual lust is something that probably is never going to be uh, defeated this side of heaven. But I think it has enabled me to just fight sexual lust in other areas of my life more effectively because there's this area where I focus so strongly on, hey, I, I want to make sure that I am serving other people instead of serving myself, and and lust. Of, of any type, whether it's sexual or otherwise, is inward focused and just concerned with you know what's in this for me. And I think by forcing myself to think outside of that paradigm is just having ripple effects in other areas, so that I can fight sexual lust more effectively and just lust in general. But thinking about just myself, I can always stop and say, okay, is this is this going to be beneficial for for my wife? Is this going to be beneficial for my kids? And, and I think I can do that more effectively as a result of what I've been learning and growing in in this specific area and and I think it also I don't think I, I know just as as I have walked life with with my wife and interacted with her, she would definitely say too, our marriage is stronger just because i am I am more effectively guarding my own high heart and eyes and mind not by focusing on my hard eyes and mind but focusing on loving others but but a byproduct of that is just uh, guarding the sacredness of sex as a gift reserved for expression and experience with just a, a man and a woman in, in a covenant relationship uh, I, I think um, just our marriage as a whole has has become more more enjoyable where we just enjoy each other uh, just like on, on all levels whether it's just a conversation or or romantically or, or anywhere else and so um, so I, I think my marriage is stronger and and so I when when all comes down to it i just as monogamy isn't restrictive in a in, ultimately in a negative sense at least from a from a christian perspective it it's a it's a restriction that that protects and guards and and helps encourage and and helps you know sex actually flourish i, I think that that this standpoint i'm taking has helped me it's it's not a neg- negatively effective Restraint that I place upon myself, I think it has helped me to be encouraged and strengthened in my own heart, and in my own walk, and in my own life, and in my own uh, relationships.
1: Um, one thing I ask people on the show is, um, do you have a coming out story, quote unquote? Which is, you know, I mean, do <laughs> right. you have a story about making your new beliefs? Uh, public, which I know uh-huh. you've, you've kind of gradually gone more and more public and more and more right. outspoken with, with your views on this. Do you want to talk about that some?
0: Sure, and I think probably if there was a coming out story, I started blogging about this Gosh, when was it? Um, Let me look here. Star Trek Into Darkness came out in 2013 mm. and I wrote, I wrote a blog post about why I wasn't going to go pay for the movie and Again, like Star Trek Into Darkness is on the lower end of the spectrum there of like you know PG thirteen, nothing explicit. Like there's no explicit nudity, uh, no sex acts at all. Well, I think that I can't remember anyway. Like it, you know, not hard. Definitely not hard R rated at all. But there was that one scene where um, Alice Eve, who plays Carol uh, Marcus, she they have they have to undress to get into. Um, into some space suits to go do, do whatever. And she asks uh, Chris Pine's character to, to look away while she undresses. And so, so he does it first, but then while she's undressing, he looks over at her and the camera looks over at her. And it's it, it, definitely like, it that, that was an exploitive shot. The, the screenwriters admitted as much later and apologized for it. Um, and so just, it was just that one, you know, a few second scene that I decided, you know what, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm sorry,
1: and yeah, so that I, was a weird scene.
0: It, it was, and I was. <laughs> like
1: they, bar- they barely even tried to justify that scene. It was I, just I, like- I know,
0: and, it, and even when the advertisement started coming on Facebook, the the screenshot they chose was Alice even her underwear. And when I first saw that, I thought. Surely, there's the. They must have switched out like a Victoria's Secret ad for this because like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. But then I found out no. Like, of all the the freeze frames in that entire movie, they chose Alice Eve to be the promotional product for this. So yeah, it, it just uh, it it was exploitive. and and again it it was minor. Like it wasn't something incredibly major as especially with regards to to what's uh, allowable in our in our mainstream entertainment right now. But I just was convicted that I I didn't want to pay for that, and so I, I blogged about it and um and I did get some pushback and and even from some some godly people and in part just because I couldn't in one blog post explain my entire viewpoint like kind of like what we're doing here we're spending a little bit more more time and so I, some of the pushback was based on a misunderstanding of what i was saying cuz people would say things like well hey like are you saying i shouldn't go to the beach cuz a lot of people wear swimsuits that are just as you know <laughs> revealing as that and i and i was saying no oh, that, that 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 wasn't my point but um <laughs> but i did get some pushback from some people that i would consider you know godly and people that i looked up to and so that was a little a a, a little strange, a little hard. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't persecution by any sense of the, of the term. And so, um, uh, so, so that, that, that is probably my coming out story. Just like that's kind of where I, I made it public and I did get some pushback from some folks who knew me and I continue to get some pushback, but really, especially as I've continued with this line of reasoning and just writing more and more on it, more often than not, it seems that I, I get um, I get appreciation and people who agree and or at the very least sympathize um, and even not even in Christian sectors. I found just a, a group of folks just who who don't hold to a scriptural sexual ethic who basically have the same standpoint. They say, like, I, I don't do that stuff because I don't want to contribute to, you know, just like I wouldn't pay for porn because a lot of it is uh, is uh, I mean, from a Christian standpoint, I'd argue it's all exploitive, but a lot of it is deals with you know, like sex trafficking and whatnot. So so mm-hmm. like not only would I not <clears throat> financially support that, I'm not gonna financially support the biggest blockbuster if it has nudity, because I don't wanna I don't wanna contribute to the degradation of actors. And I, I found you know, secular folks saying the same thing. So I've actually experienced a lot of um encouragement just as I've gone through this this line of reasoning, because there are a lot of folks it it seems to be it seems to be resonating with a a lot of people from from different walks of life, whether it's conservative Christians, um, uh, more, more progressive Christians, uh, you know, n- unbelievers, um, just a, a lot of, uh, a lot of people seem to, to a certain degree, at least, um, agree or understand or empathize with where I'm coming from.
1: So are you, are you quote unquote evangelistic about this? I mean, I know, I know you kind of are, but why don't you talk some more about, about how you are?
0: So, so yeah I would say that I am to a probably to a large degree evangelistic about this I, I do think that when it comes to implementing the principles and practices that I have discovered and written about over the years uh, I, I do think that there is to a degree there's gonna be a difference between how Christians can and should you know kind of walk this kind of stuff out but I, I do think that Christianity in particular and and for sure, most of my writing has been geared toward towards a christian audience and and especially conservative christians because that, that's come out you know my my base camp they, they they're the folks that that um, that I know the best and so so i I think to a large degree and and I, I wouldn't say everyone and in all cases, whenever anyone goes to pay to see a movie, they are being you know sinful i i I, I shy away from saying like a blanket statement like that, but I do think that the body of Christ can and should change its practices in how it engages with and or avoids certain types of entertainment because this is inherently exploitive. And it is a scriptural principle that we are called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that if, even if we can watch something with a clear conscience and it's not going to bother us, even if that is the case, if we are still contributing to, if, if we are actively involved in dragging someone else's conscience through the mud, there's a problem there and we need to, we need to address that and we need to change our habits and practices so that we're not, so that we're not doing that.
1: What's the end game here? I mean, are you, are are you, um, I mean, maybe maybe there isn't one, maybe it's, maybe it's just a set of principles, but I'm I'm just Uh wondering, are you trying to create a world where it's economically unfeasible to make pornographic arts? Are we, I don't know. What's, what's the end game?
0: Right. <laughs> and, that, and that's a good question. And I don't know that the answer is hard because in one sense, yes, I, I would love to see that to happen. And, and I mm-hmm. would hope that I would, I would hope that I'd be able to contribute, even if in just some small way toward that happening. It's not like I don't want to see that happen. I, I would love for Hollywood to change and for, uh, for, for people to stop for this to stop being just a, a trend you know an accepted form of entertainment and accepted practice I, I would love to see societal change i really would and and so there is certainly in my mind i hope that i can help move us along in that direction but but i mean yeah like at the same time too i also want to be careful with the idea that you know i unless i'm doing big things for god i'm making a waste of my life and and i think that we can kind of conflate these ideas of, you know, am I being influential with the one or five or ten talents that God has given me and and thinking, well, well, if I'm not famous, then I'm not really making a difference for God. And I, you know, like God calls some people to fame and some not. And God calls some people to deal with one talent and some with ten. And so mm. if I had to hone it down to like here's my goal, my goal is to be faithful with the influence he has given me. And so whether I'm writing for the audience of, you know, a few hundred people, a few thousand, a few million, like ultimately that isn't, I'm not in control of that. And I shouldn't feel guilty. I I should hopefully just try to be faithful with the growing influence he's given me and then be satisfied with the results, knowing that I, like my goal shouldn't be success so much as it should be faithfulness to Christ. And so I think that my end game is I want to be more faithful to Christ and not that the, societal outcomes are unimportant to me, but like so much of that is outside of my control and I don't want to live sure. my entire life frustrated. Like, Oh, well, I, I really want to have 10 talents. And I'm only having five and gosh, I'm just not living life the way that I should. You know, I, I think God, when his child stands before him at that final day, the the, the thing God says is not, it's not going to be, Oh, wow. You only had one talent. Okay. Well, I guess you can come in. It's, it's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Like you, you were faithful, for yeah. I gave you period. And end, end yeah. of, End of sentence. Finish line. So, so my 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 end game is increased faithfulness on my part to just live out life as God sees it and God calls it for me, and to try to help bring as many along with me as I possibly can. I, I guess I guess that's how I would summarize my my kind of my my end game.
1: I do want to push back on on what you're saying a little bit just because sure. I, I i can kind of anticipate some of the responses and i don't know if i buy this or not i'm okay, leaning sure. towards not but <laughs> 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 um, but i i think what the what the response is or can be is that um assuming that we're able uh, in one way or another to create a world where um pornographic films films with lots of sex scenes etc where those are either you know socially unacceptable or even like um legislatively like like banned or outright or whatever um i i feel like you, there's still gonna be a demand for that sort of thing Um, and what's going to happen by making it either, either, um, illegal or moral or socially unthinkable is that it's just going to get pushed underground. And once it's, you know, once it's, once it's there, it's going to become probably even more exploitative, like, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, if it's, if, if pornography is not profitable, that means that pornographers are going to be relying even more on, on stuff like, you know, sex trafficking and um, you know, direct and even, even just paying the quote unquote talent badly. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that sort of thing. So, um, I don't, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that or,
0: um, you know, I, I guess I haven't gotten a lot of pushback regarding that in particular. And, and I, mm-hmm. and I can understand that and to a certain degree can sympathize with that position. Cause I think there is again, to a certain degree, some truth in that, but, I guess when all is said and done, I I don't want again like I'm not in control of the ultimate like how society changes or responds, and so if I'm going to be more concerned with oh how is this going to be abused and then not move forward, I, that would be to violate my own convictions about what I believe to be right and and wrong, and so I I think that. Ultimately, we're not responsible for those who would abuse a change in society for malicious purposes. We would just need to continue to fight it, however it pops up, wherever it pops up. Um, I, oh, overall, I guess I wouldn't, like that question, while I understand it, wouldn't make me lose a lot of sleep just because I, I still think that we need to fight this. And I still think that we shouldn't just sit on our hands simply because, oh, if it goes underground, it's going to be worse. Like, well, yeah, maybe, but um, that still doesn't make it excusable now.
1: So aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind?
0: As I have grown in my appreciation for human dignity, I think, I think God has helped me grow in love for other people, whether they agree with me or not. Because I, mm-hmm. I know that definitely earlier in life, especially as a teenager, everything was black and white. And I, <laughs> my, um, my lack of love was, oh my gosh, it was horrible. Like I am not a naturally loving person person. And you know, my mom tried steering me toward, hey, you, you know, if you're not speaking the truth in love, you're you're doing it wrong. And my response was, hey, if I'm speaking the truth, it is love because it's truth. And, <laughs> uh, and that like, that's a whole, like, I mean, I legitimately thought that, but that that's mm-hmm. wrong. And my mom was right. And so I think as I have grown in my appreciation for human dignity and grown in my love for other people, I think that also has just affected my rhetoric and how I debate with folks to where, you know, I try very hard not to enter into something emotionally and just with that knee-jerk reaction of, well, you're stupid for saying that and how dare you call me this or whatever. I, I think like, you know, yeah. whoever I am interacting with is made in the image of God, whether they agree with me, you know, on this fully, partially or not at all. Mm-hmm. And and they are worthy of respect because because they are made in God's image and God has a an interest in that person's well-being and flourishing. And for me to call them names or to even just go to the level that they are trying to drag the conversation down to, that that's not loving. And so I, I think another benefit I've had is just it has helped me just rhetorically as I interact with folks, I, I hope anyway, just to be just to be more loving. And maybe at the end of the day, no one's mind changes. But in, in sometimes where I have interacted folks with who really disagree with me, sometimes at the end of the day, we've come to a, where they've said, okay, I see where you're coming from. And I to a certain degree, agree with you. And and that hasn't changed their practices really at all. But we've been able to make some headway and interact as human beings loving each other. And and I, I think good is done with that. Whereas beforehand, I probably would have been more of just beating them over the head. Oh, you're wrong and stupid if you're not like me. So I, I, think, I think God has helped me just uh, in any interactions, especially when it comes to debating or arguing. I, I hope I've been able to demonstrate more of a spirit of Christ and interacting with them and not being so blockheaded and arrogant about it.
1: All right. Um, I have three final quasi philosophical questions. I try to ask on my, <laughs> um, I know it's like, it seems, it feels pretentious to like talk about anything you're doing is philosophical, but I mean, philosophy <laughs> just is asking the questions about who we, how we know ourselves and exactly. how we know yeah. um, and yeah. I, I mean, everybody has to ask those questions eventually, whether they're aware of asking them or not. Um, right. So philosophy is for everybody. That's that's my... <laughs> oh, it is. No, it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, these questions of how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? So um, first of right. all, yeah, what is identity? Does everybody have an identity? Is your identity immutable? Is it porous? What does it mean uh-huh. to have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, and that's a great question. And uh, here's my hour-long answer. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, so I I I've been thinking through this, and I probably should have thought a few more about this because I was yeah as, as you gave me these questions, and I've been thinking through over the last few days. It's like gosh, how do I answer these? Um, so when it comes to identity, uh, really when it comes down to it, I would say that I, identity needs to come from outside of myself, um, and I'll I'll talk about myself just so I can be you know the least offensive as possible. But um, I, identity needs to come from outside myself. The more I look inward, the the more lost I'm going to get. And I think my identity is found ultimately in not who I am, but whose I am. And mm. I believe that as as not only a, a work of creation of God, but also as a work of redemption by God, that he's the one who owns me. And at the verse that we talked about earlier, or that you quoted that I couldn't remember, that you know, if, if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, you actually find it. And the more you lose mm. yourself, in Christ the more your character becomes conformed to the image of Christ the the, the more of yourself is actually going to come out you know a person might from the outside look at that and say well you're losing yourself you're just becoming a, a robot or you know <laughs> whatever but but i think i think my identity ultimately is found outside of me and by the one who made me and created me and redeemed me and knows more about my inner workings than anyone else ever could. And so, um, so I, I think identity ultimately comes down to asking, like, whose are you? Do I belong just to the earth? Am I just a product of the cosmos? Or do I belong to a being who, who created me? And, and like, th- there, there's a big difference between how a person should live their life based on the answer to that question. So, um, so yeah, mm-hmm. so identity would be a matter of outside of myself, whose am I? And, and that would inform how I would view my my identity
1: um what about human nature what is human (laughs) nature are we all the same are we all different are we all blank slates what do you think
0: yeah it's a great question and so to hone it down to just a, a minute or two um you know i do think there is a sense in which human nature like we all are the same whether we're talking about you know thousands of years ago or now certainly culture changes and there is kind of like a cycle of history where we just kind of seem to repeat the same errors all over again i i I do think humanity is by and large the same like we're all the same we're all united in our um our finiteness and our our fallenness we're all united in our ability to to imitate and honor god um especially as, as humans being made in his image i think there's that unique capacity for us to uh to imitate him to to honor him and obey him and so um so I think human nature is universal from that from that like foundational level st- standpoint, um, and that uh, it really uh, ultimately I guess either comes into play with an embrace an embracing of our fallenness as we go away from God, or an embracing of His call to, to imitate Him and be and be like Him. Yeah. And that's just off the top of my head, I guess.
1: All right. What about um, truth? What is truth? How do you know truth? Yeah.
0: How do you know when yeah. you know truth. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Right. Right. Um, And, you know, probably to a certain degree, my answer to all these three is the same in that truth is, again, found outside myself, um, Mm Truth is in an ultimate sense, absolute. There is a there is a standard by which everything else is judged. Otherwise, there is no hope of us at all coming into agreement on anything. I mean i mean i there there is common grace so so there's a i mean there are a lot of areas where i would you know agree with a a an unbeliever on societal issues or or moral issues or whatnot but um but in an ultimate sense uh we can't like unless we can agree on the the standard like what is the standard who provides the standard then there's you know in an ultimate sense be no agreement and so truth comes from that ultimate standard and as a christian i believe that ultimate standard is god who again is the creator of the world and who has Created reality as we know it, and so whether we're talking about watching movies or whether we're talking about science or uh, anything else, God is the creator of all of these technologies, all of these um, forms of art. Ultimately, they're they're from they're from His mind. He is the He's the creator, and so I think we need to look back to Him as the source of truth and the one who who defines truth. Um, cool. Well, it has been fun having you on the show cap. Um, thank you so much for having me. I've been, I've known you for a while online and it's been a huge pleasure to actually be able to talk to you at least virtually in person.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? You want to plug your online course one more time or anything else?
0: Probably, that is kind of where I've been kind of heading over the last several years is compiling all this for the online course. And that is uh, kind of my, my biggest labor of love at this point. So uh, so my, the, the blog that I've been having go since 2006 is just my name, capsteward.com, And I have links to the course there. But the online course is hopefully a, a, a simple and memorable URL. It's just christiansandmovies.com. And that's where folks can go to sign up for the course. Also get a free preview. And if they're interested in this topic in particular that we've been talking about, you know, it's 10 lessons that go into depth, including dealing with the the three biggest objections I have received, some of which you and I have, you know, talked about here and just kind of walking through what that looks like, considering hopefully a lot of nuanced aspects of it and, and, and walking away again, hopefully with a more robust and scriptural view of how we can love our entertainers as ourselves. So yeah, that's, um, just, uh, Christians Great.
1: All right. Well, this has been changed my mind with Luke T Harrington. I'm Luke T Harrington. You can find me at Luke T or find me on Twitter at Luke T Harrington. I will see you next time. There's an article um, published a couple of years ago in America, the Jesuit Review, which is basically a leftist Catholic journal written by Nathan Schneider, who is a journalist and an activist uh, with Occupy Wall Street. And the title of the article is The Neoliberal Sexuality of the Left. Now, neoliberalism, um, if you don't know the expression, it's an economic philosophy and has been essentially the dominant one in the West since the days of Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Um, and it's basically what it sounds like, neoliberal. It, it is an economic philosophy that emphasizes Liberty in the classical sense. That is negative freedom, get the government out of the way, let people do what they do. Um, In other words, it's what most would associate with the American right. It conceives of all economic transactions as essentially agreements between individuals with very little regard for groups, society, municipalities, etc., etc. And in fact, in the article, Schneider has a pretty good quote from Margaret Thatcher. um, As she puts it, there is no such thing as society, there are individual men and women, and there are families. Um, Now, Leftists hear this sort of neoliberal rhetoric and they immediately recognize it as fundamentally dishonest. Um, because if you need to get a job or you can't pay your rent, then you are searching for a job with essentially a gun to your head. It's a choice between a job and homelessness, which means nine times out of ten The relationship between, for instance, employee and employer is a fundamentally unequal relationship. If you say, hey, come work in my salt mines for pennies a day, or else you will starve to death on the street, the choice for me is a very easy one. Uh, Obviously, I would prefer to work in the salt mines than to starve. So I'm making the choice with a metaphorical gun to my head, whereas for you, if I say no, all you have to do is find some other person starving on the street, because if you are in the position of being wealthy enough to own a salt mine, you are probably not hiring me out of desperation. Now the neoliberal approach to that transaction is to say both parties consented to the transaction, therefore it's on the level, Whereas very, very rarely is such a thing genuinely on the level. Now, obviously, if you were to look hard enough, you could find someone who said, no, I love working in the salt mines for pennies a day. It's been my lifelong dream. It's all I ever wanted to do, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to do it. And even if that's the case, it's still true, that the relationship there is a fundamentally disordered one where a human body is being abused and unfairly compensated and it gives rise to a system where such things are considered acceptable. Now, that's obviously a very oversimplified scenario, but I tried to give a quick overview of what the neoliberal position would be and what the leftist response would be. Um, Now, this article by Schneider, he takes a look at this and he says, well, the neoliberal view of economics, which so many leftists despise, is almost indistinguishable from the predominant leftist understanding of sexuality, which is that any transaction is acceptable if there's mutual consent. And he says we all know from experience and from the headlines that consent is not a bare thing. It's not something you either have or don't have. There are all kinds of degrees of consent, and there are all kinds of degrees of coercion to that consent. If you hire a starving person to work in your salt mines for pennies a day and they agree, that's not real consent. That is coerced consent. In a similar way, people consent to sex acts all the time out of fear, out of anxiety, out of depression, out of self-loathing. There are all sorts of things that can conspire to coerce people into sexual consent. And we don't have the language, at least on the left, he says, for dealing with that. Now, I saw this article get dragged all over social media, but I didn't come across a single response to it that really dealt with the ideas he was pushing in the article. It was all just a general loathing of any sort of values perceived to be quote-unquote conservative. As I've said many times before on this show, and will probably say many times again, so much of our political ideology comes from just this place of wanting to not be the people we hate, But I think with what Cap and I were talking about on the show with Hollywood sex scenes, you see kind of the intersection of neoliberal economics with neoliberal sexuality. And I think that throws a lot of things into sharp relief, especially when you want to talk about producers like Harvey Weinstein, who used every bit of power they had to coerce both sex scenes and sexual favors out of unwilling actors. And I don't want to necessarily push that analogy too far in this brief monologue, but I would encourage you to think about that and consider that Consent is often an incomplete and hollow test for whether an act is really fair and just, both on the economic level and on the sexual level. That's it for this week. You should uh, read the article. It's called The Neoliberal Sexuality of the Left. Just Google the title. It should come right up. I want to thank... Cap for being on the show. He's an interesting guy. Do go check out his blog at capstuart.com or check out his online course at christiansandmovies.com. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Do check out their other podcasts, um, Faith and Other Oddities and The Commentarians. If you are enjoying Changed My Mind, I got some great news. I just set up a Kofi for Changed My Mind. Now Kofi is pretty simple. It's just, hey, if you like what this artist or content creator is doing, buy him a coffee. So I think that's where it gets its name. Coffee and kofi fi Nance, I think. Anyway, it's ko-fi.com slash changed my mind. And you can just go there and throw me any amount of money in increments of three dollars. Three dollars being the price of a coffee. So if you like the show, Buy me a coffee at Kofi.com slash changed my mind. If you don't want to buy me a coffee, if you are working in the salt mines and not making enough to cover the bills, um you can still help me out. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can rate the show. You can review the show. I would love to have more reviews to read on the air here. It's always fun to read reviews. It would be really fun to get some negative reviews so I can make fun of your punctuation and spelling. Um, That would be great. But yeah. Um, if you don't want to go to Kofi, there are other ways to support me. You can buy my novel, Ophelia Alive, on Amazon. You can pre-order my upcoming nonfiction book, Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem. Uh, also on Amazon, or you can visit projectconarrative.com, which is a novel I'm writing live on the internet with my friend KB Hoyle and is supported by Patreon. So there are lots of ways to support me if you like what I'm doing and want me to be able to not go work in the salt mines. Um, So thank you for everyone who's supported me in any of those ways. Um, And if you haven't, I still like you. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And don't be afraid to change your mind.